0: What's up, everybody? Welcome to the View from Jamestown Podcast Edition. This is episode 51. And this morning, I'm sitting down with David Fife, Chief Economist at Argus Media. Good morning, David. Morning. How are you today?
1: Yeah, very good. Thanks. Very good. It's sitting in a very, uh, a very damp and rainy uh, London.
0: Yeah, we're, we're looking at some sunshine here in Rhode Island today, but I guess we're getting another 48 inches of snow tomorrow. So, looking forward to that um but yeah appreciate you taking some time it's, it's good to talk to you um looking forward to the, the the conversation and having you on the podcast um i figured just to, to jump right into it and, and really get into the episode um if you want to give a little background on you know yourself your your background your current day-to-day um as well as maybe an overview on you know argus media as a company for anyone that might not be familiar
1: okay uh i'll start with a little bit on uh my own background i'm a I'm a geologist uh, and energy economist by training. Um, I've spent around uh, 30 years or just a bit over 30 years looking at uh, energy and commodity markets, uh, looking at physical fundamentals and and pricing and forecasting. Um, Before joining Argus Media, I had a period at about 10 years in Paris with the International Energy Agency as head of their oil industry and markets division. Uh, Then in uh, 2012, I moved to Geneva, Switzerland, where I worked as chief economist for the Gunvor Commodity Trading Group. Uh, And since early 2019, I've been uh, chief economist with Argus Media. Now, Argus Media is one of the uh, uh, premier global price reporting agencies, or PRAs, Uh, and we're tasked with uh, essentially providing pricing indexes and benchmarks across the commodity complex. Argus Media began life in 1970, so we celebrated our 50th anniversary as a company last year. Um, But we cover not only the oil industry, but uh, gas, coal, power, uh, petrochemicals, a very important part of our business, uh, but also the metals, fertilizers and agricultural markets. And we essentially survey physical prices within the markets. So either transactions or bids and offers to provide, and try and provide the, the commodity industry with reliable, independent price benchmarks.
0: Yeah, it's it's obviously something that I've become more and more familiar with. It's my time with TCC, you know, obviously an important part of our business. Um, and what is your I guess with Argus now what does your day to day look like what do you, what do you spend a lot of time is it a lot of research talking to companies you know general macroeconomic things what do, what do you spend a lot of your time with
1: Yeah I mean it it, it it's it's a it's a nice uh, varied role that I have uh, with Argus very enjoyable um uh, some of it is is internal so it in a sense I hate the phrase but uh my boss sort of used the phrase when he was describing my job, uh, sort of thought, thought leadership role, uh, trying to provide consistent views on uh, the macroeconomy, you know, cross-commodity strategic issues that affect, uh, you know, the commodity industry writ large, and also, you know, touching on areas of, of geopolitics and, and government policy and how that may affect commodity markets. So that's the sort of internal strand of the job, but there's also quite a lot of time spent out speaking to the market, speaking to our peers in in the commodity space and speaking to governments and educational institutions about the analytics that Argus uh, generates uh, and also explaining what the PRAs do because it's... Uh, it's uh it's something that, that that some people don't really understand very well so there's an explanatory role to the outside world as well as providing uh you know sort of uh, thought leadership and and market intelligence internally as well
0: yeah and i think that's a good transition into our first sort of real real topic um in terms of what's going on around the industry it's kind of more of a general macroeconomic update i think it can be divided up into Two sort of sections, there's kind of the piece of wrapping up 2020, what happened, how we ended 2020. And then now that we're obviously well into Q1 and 2021, um, what that outlook is, both for you know the first half of the year, for the rest of the year, um, and even looking beyond there. But I think just to start out, I mean, what is your sort of high level wrap up on 2020 between COVID, between different things that were going on last year? You know, I know, I guess from an economist standpoint, a very up and down year and a, a pretty rapid time frame um but yeah what's what's kind of your wrap up for for the year we saw in twenty twenty
1: yeah um well of course we're we're still living with the 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 lingering effects of covid nineteen so um you know that's still with us in the first quarter of twenty twenty one but if we look back on twenty twenty i mean obviously uh, uh uh, a much overused phrase in throughout 2020 was unprecedented, but it really was an unprecedented hit on economic activity, uh, concentrated in the second quarter of the year. Uh, you know, in overall terms, actually, when you stand back and look at it, what is amazing is that the contraction uh, of global GDP last year was was only something of the order of of four percent. Uh, I mean, it was the steepest hit the global economy has taken, uh, you know, in over a century. So it is massive. Um, but sometimes when you look at the bare numbers, it seems not not all that uh, impactful. Uh, and obviously it hit across the commodity complex. Um, it hit energy markets particularly hard, uh, that contraction in GDP. Uh, commodities are, demand is obviously driven by income, uh, and therefore uh, commodities took a big hit. Energy took the biggest hit of all, obviously because uh, 60%, uh, you know, 60% of, of oil demand, for example, uh, takes place in the transportation sector. So obviously, if uh, if you've got lockdowns and you've got prohibition on travel, uh, you know, oil took a very, very big hit. Uh, Obviously, we saw prices actually falling negative last April, uh, which really hasn't happened before. Um, Thankfully, we've recovered since that period. Uh, And the whole commodity complex has progressively and gradually recovered uh, since the low point in the second quarter. Um, Obviously, industry has rebounded fairly rapidly. Uh, So industrial production has come back quite strongly. The services sector uh, really is still in the process of recovering, not least, you know, hospitality and and transportation uh, and and those sectors, which are going to take many, many more months to recover. Um, We've had differentiated impacts between the developed world, which has managed to spend something like 25% 25% of GDP in terms of fiscal stimulus. So governments in the the developed economies have have had the firepower to lend support to individuals and businesses. Uh, unfortunately, in the emerging economies uh, and uh, you know the, the 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 poorer economies, you know they've only been able to spend something between one and six percent of GDP on fiscal stimulus. So I think there are concerns as we go into 2021 about how quickly the, you know, commodity intensive uh, developing economies will will be able to recover. Um, China uh, has really stood alone. I mean, China has been quite remarkable that by the middle of last year, Chinese GDP had actually recovered to fourth quarter 2019 levels. So the Chinese have really managed the uh, economic impact of COVID-19 much more successfully than the rest of the world. Uh, And, you know, in fact, China and Chinese imports were really what put a floor under commodity prices across the board uh, in 2020. The year could have been much, much worse for the commodity space had it not been for the re- robust rebound that we saw in the Chinese economy, particularly in the second half of last year. Um, and, you know, some of those trends are going to trickle through into 2021. Uh, but, you know, that's that's where we stand. The, the the economy contracted last year by about 4%. And we we expect probably this year we'll see a rebound. Uh, all things being equal of something like 5% growth in GDP in 2021.
0: Yeah, that's a that's a great I think, recap on what we saw last year. Um, and I think maybe a good segue right into what our forecast is and what you see for 2021. Um, starting to talk about, you know, obviously a potential 5% increase in GDP for the year. Um, but in terms of a macroeconomic point of view, you know, what is, what is your outlook for this year? Obviously, we're here, mid-February so a little bit into the year um I don't know at least from our side we've seen pretty pretty strong demand um and some supply tightness across you know the, the industries that we're involved with so it seems like demand has picked up across the sectors we see which I think bodes well for what's to come the rest of the year in terms of the economy um but what's your outlook on what's to come this year?
1: Yeah I mean we, we we're going with a sort of consensus view on on the macro picture that uh, we have a sort of asymmetric V-shape recovery. Uh, I said said earlier on that we think Chinese, Chinese GDP already by the middle of last year had regained in absolute levels where it was at the end of 2019. I think the story is rather different on a regional basis. And we actually see much of the rest of the world actually taking until maybe the fourth quarter of this year before GDP outside of China uh, recovers pre-pandemic levels. So we certainly see a rebound. Uh, We certainly see ongoing fiscal stimulus. Uh, You know, the U.S. is going to be crucial in that regard, and and how much of uh, Biden's uh, $1.9 trillion stimulus that actually gets pushed into the economy, uh, that will determine you know the pace of the the rebound in, in the US but there are similar, similar ongoing stimulus packages at work uh in Europe uh and in OECD Asia as i said the 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 um commodity intensive uh developing economies have had rather less firepower to deploy but nonetheless we're seeing you know quite strong rebound as lockdowns start to ease uh, in in the developing world, and 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 crucial to this whole thing is going to be the the effectiveness of the rollout of of vaccines. Um, essentially, we would assume that uh, you know much of the the the, the advanced economies managed to get you know the bulk of their uh, susceptible populations vaccinated sometime around the summer, uh, but it could even take and you know another possibly another 9 to 12 months before some of the you know the emerging economies manage to get widespread deployment of vaccine and that of course is going to determine commodity demand going forward but it, it it's fair to say you know transportation is still struggling the petchem sector has rebounded relatively well petchem demand has held up relatively well so it's you know steady recovery this year um, and uh, you know, commodity demand we think, driven again by China, uh, stands to recover quite strongly. We think in 2021.
0: Yeah, you, you mentioned one piece in there with obviously the new U.S. administration with Biden taking office over the last couple of weeks. How uh, how big of a role do you see that playing? Obviously, there's there's the U.S. piece of it too. But how how big of a role do you see that playing in global you know economies and how big of an impact do you see? the new administration taking versus the administration that is now obviously just leaving office.
1: I mean, I think I think the, the commodity markets sent a signal as early as last November, uh, you know, around the time of the U.S. election. Um, uh, you know, the combination of that and successful trials on vaccines and really there's been a, a surge in commodity prices since last November. Uh, you know, crude oil is up very strongly. Uh, the olefin markets have, have rebounded really since last November. Uh, uh, you know, so it, it's been a fairly broad-based bounce, and I think there's quite a lot of optimism there that um, you know we we, we we're, we're probably likely to see uh, you know a rather more proactive uh, fiscal uh, support program in the U.S. with the the incoming Biden administration um and potentially a, a rather more sort of coordinated approach to managing uh, the pandemic potentially although obviously states uh, individual states in the US hold uh, the key to the rollout of of, of vaccine and pandemic uh, control um but you know the the uh, so we've got the, the the underlying levels of financial support We've also got quite an ambitious set of energy and environmental policies that the Biden administration are looking uh, to bring in. I mean, potentially there is a, a further $2 trillion that is earmarked for uh, decarbonization, uh within the US. Uh, that's obviously going to play uh, a major role in, in shaping energy policy going forward. Um, The one thing I would say is that some of the more ambitious spending plans in the US and decarbonization plans, of course, are going to come up to how easy it is to get those measures through Congress. And the Biden administration has a a fairly narrow majority across the, the two houses of Congress. And so there may need to be a little bit of compromise in terms of spending uh in terms of the the sort of tax proposals that the biden administration were it given a free hand might like to bring uh in terms of uh, taxation on oil and gas um etc so you know it's one thing to have a a pre-election manifesto that says we're going to spend this amount of money and we're going to decarbonize at this pace uh, I suspect some of the measures may be slightly trimmed or slightly slower to come into effect just because of the political reality of having to get some of those measures through a fairly finely divided Congress.
0: Yeah, and one point that you had made in there talking about energy markets and oil specifically, obviously, I know both crude and Brent oil, something that at a even a high level affects us as a business, all of our customers as a business, you know, especially for for TCC and our industry and our customers. Um, so, what what is the outlook on the industry en- energy markets? Excuse me for the year. Um, I know crude has been off to a good start. Is that something that we continue to see moving upwards? How how um, feasible or durable is that to continue? What is what is your outlook on the energy markets?
1: Yeah, I mean, if if we take the crude oil market, which tends to be the focus of of, of what I look at. Um, you know the the uh we we came into 2021 with a view that you know it was going to be quite a long haul in terms of draining the surplus inventory that was built up in the first half of 2020 i mean we think maybe around half of that surplus inventory uh has already been drained um uh, but it may well take another you know nine months or so for the the rest of that inventory to be drawn down. And of course, in the oil market, uh, you know even although we expect a fairly robust recovery in oil demand this year um, after the the, the the contraction we saw last year, um, you know OPEC plus is a, a a very important part of the equation so, Saudi Arabia, Russia, and colleagues who have, who are voluntarily uh, restraining supply to the market are having to manage the market. And they've been very successful in in managing supply to the market um, really since April last year. Uh, But they've got a lot of hard work still to do through 2021 um particularly given the uncertainties over the recovery in oil demand that we expect so our view you know our last monthly price outlook for crude had wti for this year as a whole averaging about $55 a barrel brent averaging something around $58 59 per barrel so you can see that in february with uh, WTI trading sort of north of $60 a barrel. Uh, we'd argue potentially the market is a little bit overbought at the moment. We think uh, you know there's a, a lot of speculative net length in the crude market at the present point in time. We don't necessarily think prices have any reason to collapse from here, unless there's a resurgence of the COVID-19 pandemic. So we're not certainly not suggesting that uh, prices have to collapse, but we would expect with the sort of bumpy ride that the market is likely to face between now and the middle of the year when sizable portions of the population are vaccinated, uh, we think there could be a sort of fairly volatile period, a fairly choppy period in crude prices between now and the middle of the year. And we wouldn't necessarily expect prices to continue rising at the pace they have been doing over the last couple of months. Um, Very hazardous, of course, to make any forecast about crude oil prices. OPEC ministers will meet in early March and decide what they're going to do from April onwards. Uh, But there could be a little bit extra OPEC oil leaked back onto the market from April onwards. And then we have an issue that uh, also the Biden administration confronts, which is what to do with Iran, because there's probably about two million barrels per day of Iranian oil that has been shut out of the market because of sanctions. The Biden administration wants to renew the nuclear deal with Iran at some stage this year, and when that happens, obviously some of those Iranian barrels come onto the market. So. We're constructive oil and energy demand recovery for this year, but in the oil space, uh, you know, there's quite a lot of oil uh, that could come back onto the market and really can OPEC Plus control that? And then of course, there's the, the big question about uh, the US shale patch, which has been hit very, very hard. Uh, investment in upstream oil, uh, particularly in US shale, was slashed last year. Uh, does 55, 60 dollars per barrel allow some of that U.S. shale supply to come back onto the market? Obviously, as we speak today, uh, you know Texas uh, is suffering from a uh, an exceptional freeze and, and weather event, and that shut in a lot of extra uh, Texas oil supply. But hopefully, that will be a relatively short-lived phenomenon. Uh, And really the big question hanging over the crude market is how quickly does U.S. shale supply for oil and gas come back amid slightly higher prices that we expect for this year? So a huge number of questions in the energy space for 2021, but we would be broadly constructive, the energy complex this year, even if we think crude is probably a little bit overbought uh, as we speak in in mid-February.
0: And, and maybe one more question to throw your way to is one of these buzzwords that's obviously been a, a something that's been happening more and more over the few coming years. And I think something that'll be a, a long-term play is the renewable energies and sustainable energies and things like that. I'm not sure how closely you follow things like that, but I would assume more of a long-term play, whether it's 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, you know, different economies or companies committing to being you know renewable energies and and things like that i know europe has some regulations going to affect i believe this year recommending or mandating a, a certain percentage of i think vessels being based on renewable energies do, do you see that further affecting the crude oil industry maybe further just beyond 2021 maybe more of a five-year a 10-year sort of outlook
1: yeah i mean i i think it's a little premature premature to call uh, peak oil demand uh you know our base case has a recovery post-pandemic and then, you know, oil demand globally continuing to grow through to around 2030. Um, Obviously, in Europe and other parts of the developed uh, world, uh, there is a huge environmental agenda. We're going to see electrification of vehicle fleets. Uh, We're going to see a more more broader, uh, I think, theme of electrification across the economy. We're going to see uh, greater use of hydrogen, uh, biofuels. Uh, so yeah, ultimately oil demand will peak, but there is a massive appetite still uh, for petroleum and petroleum-based fuels in the developing world. Uh, so I don't think we're going to see a peak there, you know, anytime in the next decade. So the the the, the, the emerging economies are going to still be looking for a lot of oil. And one thing I would say that we have to bear in mind is whatever the trajectory for oil demand going forward, uh, you need to spend consistently you know three hundred and fifty four hundred billion dollars a year to prevent oil supply declining. mature oil wells decline production very, very rapidly. So really, what the industry has to grapple with is ensuring a supply of capital against this narrative of an energy transition. I mean essentially we're going to need all of the all possible sources of energy to meet uh, you know a a, a a a demand for energy, for clean energy, for affordable energy for decades to come. Uh, and so it's important that the industry doesn't take its eye off the ball and assume it's all renewables we need more renewables we need wind power we need solar power we need hydrogen but we also need uh, investment in hydrocarbons to ensure that you know the baseload supply is there to meet demand over the next 10 or 20 years so i s- i prefer to see it as a sort of diversification of the energy system uh you know diversified fuel forms rather than necessarily decarbonization straight away in the short term. So there's there's plenty of work to be done to ensure that supplies of all forms of energy are available to meet uh, a growing global economy, a growing global population.
0: Yeah, I think it's a very interesting outlook, you know, more so diversification, like you said, and, and having a variety of um, streams of energies versus a complete 180. I think a, a lot of the viewpoints is you know, we're here, we need to go here versus maybe having a little bit in the, you know, in between. It is a a transition.
1: You know, it's a transition. You can't flick a switch overnight and just get rid of oil and gas and coal. We will see their share of the global energy market diminishing. Uh, We need renewables. Uh, We need arguably carbon pricing uh, to enable technologies like carbon uh, capture and storage, for example. We need more recycling. And I know in the petchem sector, you know, recycling of uh, plastics is a, is a big topic. So we need all of these tools. And I suspect at some stage, carbon pricing is gonna have to play a much bigger role on a global basis to enable uh, what we all want, which is a, you know, a, a cleaner air and uh, um, stabilization of global temperatures.
0: Certainly. David, I think that was a great episode. I really appreciate your insight and, and taking the time to be on you know, our podcast this morning. Um, before signing off, I'd like to maybe just give you the opportunity, how, how people can get in touch with you or Argus Media, what the best way to you know, follow up with you or, or inquire about any of the services that Argus offers, um, how should people get in touch.
1: Well, I want to thank uh, the chemical company for inviting me to speak with you. It's been a real pleasure to talk to you and, you know, check us out on www.argusmedia.com. Contact me, by all means, uh, david.fife at argusmedia.com and I'd be happy to answer any questions about our company and uh, our services. So thanks for giving me the chance to speak with you today
0: absolutely thank you again for the time we'll make sure we put your your email and we'll put the website down in the show notes wherever you're streaming this podcast um you know again thank you for the time great speaking to you and uh maybe we'll have you on here sometime soon over the next coming uh six months year, whatever that is and see where we're at, at that point
1: i'd love to thanks a lot ben thanks a lot bye for thank now so much david